Welcome to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Coffins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. If you heard that Jesus Christ was coming through our area, would you try to go see him? I sure would. Imagine for a second with me you were on your way to a location near you where Jesus Christ was actually passing through. Would you want to hear him teach, or would you rather just watch his actions and listen to him? Over the last 18 months on this broadcast, Pastor Jones has read and explained Jesus' messages as recorded in the New Testament. If some of you are just tuning into this broadcast and you would like to study what Jesus actually taught, feel free to access our podcast of the Messages of Christ. You can find it on the web at radiobold.com slash Baptist. Again, that address for our podcast is radiobold.com slash Baptist. Yes, I can imagine that if Christ were passing through our area, others of our listeners would prefer to just follow Christ, listen into his conversations, and watch him. That is what our new series beginning this week is meant to accomplish. Pastor Jones plans to take you on a journey of merely following Jesus around during his life on earth as recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We will watch what the scriptures say about him, try to place ourselves there, and try to understand the lessons God intends for us to take from observing his son. So why not grab a Bible if you have one nearby, turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 verse 40, and let's begin to take a long look at an incident from the life of Christ. Well, it's great to be with you for another Beacon of Hope broadcast. It's Pastor Lane Jones, and I'd like to uh, uh, just bring you up to days where we've been. We, For about the last 18 months or so, we've been doing a series on the messages that Jesus preached in the New Testament. And we finished that. I looked at his last message last week from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and finished that last message up. And so with, uh, this week we're going to be beginning a new series on the methods of Christ. I still want to keep our focus on Jesus and on what he actually said and what he did. And so these are uh, texts that we're going to look at walking through the life of Christ uh, without the, the, the messages that he actually preached. Now we've already dealt with them, but now just different situations that our Lord came across and um, where he may say a few things, but you are watching his life more than just sitting and hearing his teaching. And so the first one we're coming to is the first time in, in the scriptures that Jesus actually speaks in um, uh, since he's come to earth. And that's in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 40 and go to the end of the chapter. And it's dealing with an incident that happened with Jesus uh, uh, in his, his it's a summary of his youth and then, and then an incident that happened at the temple that, about when he was about 12 years old. And so uh, before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We ask for your help as we look into your word. Give us understanding of it. And not only what you say here and what you teach us about your son, but then what we can learn from it and apply to our own lives. So we ask for your help on this. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I find interesting right away is when I considered this question when I was first studying for this, and that is, uh, why is it that Jesus... Uh, he only lives 33 years, but of those 33 years, only the last uh, three plus years, is he involved in public service? Is he involved in, in, in preaching and healing and teaching uh, as he did? Why, why not step into the limelight a little earlier? And, and again, I, the mind of God uh, holds that answer. I don't think I can pretend to have all the answers to that. But I do think this is interesting to me, and that is... When we look at the example of Christ, even as a child here, this is years before he gets into public ministry, we find him preparing for that event, preparing for um, the time when he would step into the limelight and reveal himself as God's son. 
And this, to me, right off the bat, begins to show me that we can easily underestimate the value of proper preparation for the work of God. And we do that to our peril. And so let's go ahead and look at Jesus in his, in his boyhood years. Verse 40 of Luke chapter 2 is a summary of Christ's boyhood years. It says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So as Jesus grew, there are three major things they said about him. First of all, he becomes strong. And the question is, how so? How strong? Or, or in what areas? And there's actually, interestingly enough, a textual difference here. Um, remember that the, when we get the Bible, a lot of people think that the Bible is not accurate, but that absolutely is not true. Uh, we have thousands of manuscripts. There's not a, an ancient book anywhere in the ballpark of what we have uh, for the New Testament. Uh, but again, with thousands of manuscripts to deal with, there are some differences because every one of them is written by hand and uh, that we're, we're talking about that we use as our foundation for the Word of God. And there will be small things. Most, the vast majority of them are spelling or punctuation, that type of uh, maybe capitalization uh, issues. Uh, but in this particular verse, verse 40, there is a, a, a slight uh, variation. The first one uh, is where it says, and the only one actually that's significant here is where it says, the child grew and became strong in spirit. Now, there are some translations, and maybe you have an English one, that just says he became strong. And there are others that will say in, he's strong in spirit. So um, I think whenever there's a, a textual difference like this, both aspects of the both sides of that coin should be explored. And so just think of if as you think of Jim just saying that Jesus grew strong. And so let's think of him being strong bodily and I think that's there's a lot of evidence in the scriptures that he was that. You can see Christ's physical strength in several uh, uh, different events. First of all, how about 40 days of fasting? and temptation in the wilderness. You're out there and the, and out with the wild animals. As a matter of fact, one of the gospel writers specifically mentions he's out there with the wild beasts. He's not eating, and this goes on for 40 days. You have to have a large degree of physical strength in order to do that. Um, you also uh, read of his ability to climb mountains. Matter of fact, uh, on, after the feeding of the 5,000, when there was a, a contingency of people that were going to try to force him to become king, he will instead dismiss the crowd and climb a mountain and spend time praying with God. You find Jesus seemed to enjoy that, getting away uh, to lonely places, to desolate places, and, and mountains were some of them. How about his intense schedule that he kept? Um, when you read uh, some of the, just a, a single day or two of Christ's ministry, and, and by the way, the Apostle John tells us that there's no way they could record everything that he did. He said, he, he said, I felt like the world wouldn't hold the books that should be written if we talk about everything that Jesus did. So we're just getting kind of the um, highlights of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. And when you look at just some of the descriptions of the days that he would have, um, intense, highly intense, people all around him, people with, with their need, their crisis, and they wanted help. And our Lord was so gracious in helping people. And then think about also his endurance uh, during his passion. He is beaten by soldiers on multiple occasions uh, before his crucifixion. He's beaten with a cat of nine tails, which many people did not survive that. Uh, the lashing that you would get from the, the cat of nine tails is very famous to be able to rip people's bodies apart. Um, 
and he 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 not only survived the beatings in front of that he survived the 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 terrible scourging that he took from the cat of nine tails from the from the roman soldiers and um still was carrying his cross uh eventually collapsed because probably of blood loss and lack of um of, of water those type of things but uh, the tremendous endurance that he showed again argues strongly for the fact that christ was not weak of body but also uh the translation i have in front of me the new king james says that he was strong in spirit and i want you to think about that and and what involves being strong in your spirit or strong in your character well one would be a convinced mind and the fact is that jesus you'll find as we look into this passage deeper he will be a student of the word of god he's a student of the truth and he has a convinced mind and he also has a convicted and powerful will and when you have a person with a convinced mind and a convicted or powerful will uh, that person can stand against many a foe who opposes that individual because that person is is con- convinced in his own heart. Of course, it's very important that that person be convinced of, of truth and not error. A person who is convinced of error and has a strong will can be a monster. But of course, Christ was was none of that. He was a man of great love and 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 peace and joy. Uh, but there was no meddling with trying to get him to compromise the truth. That absolutely was out. Why? Because he was strong in spirit. So we have this description that in, even as a boy, Jesus is growing in his strength. And then he also says that he, he the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. So he's growing and, and being filled with wisdom. Now, where did Jesus get that wisdom from? Now, I know that many of you may think, well, of course, he's God. He, he would have access to all the wisdom uh, of of God. And may I say to you, I do not believe that Jesus functioned that way in his time on earth. I really don't. I believe that Jesus actually, as a child, is going to need to grow in this, grow in wisdom. And and he will have to learn. It's not that he just, um, you know, from an infant is already knows how to talk, knows how to reason, knows how to argue with people. He is going to grow up in a very normal fashion, but without any sin. Now, imagine that. It's, it's, again, it's hard to, for us to, to grab onto. But let, me, um, let me say again, as God, the scriptures say in Philippians chapter 2, let me just read it to you so you can kind of get an idea where I'm coming from. Philippians chapter 2 makes a very interesting statement. It says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, now, I'm at verse 6 now. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God or did not seem did not consider it to be something he had to hang on to to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking a, uh, the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a, or in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, when it talks about Christ uh, becoming uh, a man with no reputation and taking upon him the form of a bondservant, there's the, the, it's not easy to translate in there, but I will tell you that what many scholars believe, and I would agree with this, is that the concept is that he emptied himself. You say, well, emptied himself of what? And I believe he's emptying himself of the independent use of his attributes as God. 
so that he is not always using his ability to know the future, to know everything about everything. He's not always using that. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. When, when late in his ministry, the Bible says he's, he's going into Jerusalem, he's hungry in the morning. Again, an attribute that God wouldn't have hunger. Uh, he's, he's taken upon him the, the form of a, a servant. He's, he's become a, a true man. He's hungry. He goes to a fig tree, and the Bible says he was expecting to find figs on that tree. And he evidently searched it, finding none. Now, that shows us that he's not using his omniscience. If he already knew everything uh, at that moment as, as living a true human life, he would have already known that there were no figs on that fig tree. You'll find other things that indicate the same idea. So what is Jesus doing? He's, he's living. Yes, he is completely God, but when in his public human life, he is, he is emptying himself of the independent use of those attributes, only using them in submission to the Father. So what I'm telling you is simply this. He had to learn just like we have to learn. He has to get stronger just like we had to get, have to get stronger as we grow. He's growing up as a human being. Yes, he's God, but God in a human body. Now you say, okay, well, how does he grow then? Because it says the child grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Okay, how does he become filled with wisdom? Well, let me just give you a certain uh, uh, characteristics of somebody that will grow in wisdom. First of all, he's submissive. I, I'm not just making this up. Look at uh, verse 51 if you have a Bible in front of you. Same same text. It says he went down with them, with Mary and Joseph, his parents, came to Nazareth and was subject, was submissive to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Maybe we have a young person listening. And you would say, you know, my my uh, parents, I, I really don't think they have much wisdom. And I don't think, uh, and I think I know a lot more than they do about life in the modern era. And they're, they're just not caught up with the times. And, and I don't think I need to listen to them. Can I say to you, dear friend, that there is nowhere near your imagined gap, okay, between your wisdom and your parents' wisdom and the reality of Jesus, who's never going to sin, ever. Mary and Joseph can't say that. He is never going to uh, uh, say something that is wrong or evil. No other human could ever say that. And yet he goes down as, as God in the flesh and is submissive to his parents, that's one of the ways you grow in wisdom is by listening to people who are older than you. And Jesus is, is showing, it, it clearly states that he was submissive to his parents. When as a child, he was humble enough to learn from those older and wiser than him. That is a child, by the way, that's going to grow in wisdom. And that's what our Lord was like. What if you had a child that wanted to learn from anyone who could uh, teach him wisdom? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That's our Lord. That's Jesus as, as a child. Now, not only is he um, uh, uh, submissive, that's why he's full of wisdom, but he's also studious. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, we're going to talk about that in a moment in, in the incident that we see in our Lord's life. But, but trust me, he's, he, we'll see his, in, in, as a studious person. Thirdly, he's humble. You say, why, why do you say that, Pastor? Because, because it says the grace of God was upon him. And the, and the scripture gives a formula for God's grace, which is his unmerited favor or his, uh, or his help. 
Now, of course, with our Lord, it certainly was unmerited, but it's God's favor or God's help. Now, here's how God prescribes, if you want God's grace upon you, here's what you need. It says, God resists the proud, James 4, 6, but he gives grace to the humble. That means our Lord is going to be humble because he's full of the grace of God. It's upon him. It's all over his life. He's strong. He's wise. He's evidencing God's grace upon him. This is a young person. As he's growing up in your community, boy, everybody would would like him. And and the Bible tells us that when it says the the grace or the favor of God was upon him, uh, he was in favor, verse 52 says, uh, with God and man. People just liked him, and I don't blame them. Here's a humble, studious, uh, strong kid growing up submissive to authority, willing to listen to you, wanting to learn as much as he possibly can. And and verse 52 of our text says, Jesus increased, now listen to it, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now again, you cannot increase in wisdom if you're using the attribute of omniscience or knowing everything uh, from the start. Jesus is, is, is laid that aside. He is literally going to grow up as a human being, even though he is very God, but he's God in the flesh, humbling himself, not using his attributes like he normally would. Now, then we come to this specific incident that God wants us to notice. And this is the one incident that we have of Christ's childhood. Now, I know there's some apocryphal um, books that try to give other things that Jesus did. And I just say, I I really don't think those are uh, things that you can hang your hat on at all. But we do have this from the scriptures that tell us what uh, an an event out of Jesus' life. And so I want you to notice, starting with verse 41 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So we see already Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they have genuine faith. They they went up to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. This was a command for all Jewish people. If, if you were bodily able, you were to go up to the, uh, the uh, city of Jerusalem on a yearly basis during the Passover season. They were actually supposed to go three times a year for three different feasts, but the, the, the most significant of all of them was, was the Feast of Passover as they remembered the, uh, the deliverance from Egypt. It's kind of like the Jewish Independence Day um, but more, even more significant than that because there's huge spiritual significance in the nation being redeemed from Egyptian slavery. Now, it's not clearly stated that Joseph and Mary attended all three feasts, but we know they always were at the Feast of the Passover, and it would not surprise me if they came to all three of those feasts. Now, I want you to notice Jesus' unusual actions here. It's in verse 42 and 43. And I want you to think, what's, what's happening here? It says in verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Now, what happened here? Well, let me tell you, first of all, uh, to clarify, what did not happen? What did not happen is that Jesus sinned and was therefore playing some some perverted prank on his mom and dad or disobeying his parents, not meeting them at a designated spot. You, You can rest your hearts on that. Our Lord never sinned. And so this was not Jesus being obstinate, being rebellious, 
being a tricking his parents because this would be a very mean and cruel trick and it would have been a sin it had been something wrong so then we have to okay if, if jesus is not uh, intentionally meanly um uh you know leaving his parents letting his parents go on without him then what did happen and I'm not sure. It, uh, let me consider some possibilities, though. And once you, those of especially if you were parents, you're going to understand this. Um, could he have gotten absorbed with something in the temple? Um, I don't know about you, but when I go to a museum, I love to read as much as I possibly can. And, and in the days when we would take our children when they were young, uh, we would a couple different times we took them to the aquarium in Baltimore. Uh, some of you have probably been there, or uh, there's all kinds of different museums that we went to over the years. Um, I I fully enjoy standing there and reading about something that catches my eye. And the the problem is I'm not a speed reader, and and I can uh, I can get absorbed, and all of a sudden the kids and mom are trying to huh, move me along. Did something like that happen? Is Jesus maybe listening to a speaker and got absorbed in something? Maybe someone reading the scripture, someone praying, maybe a conversation that he got into and didn't realize that the group had moved on. Um, I, we, we, here's another possibility. Could he have been trying to help somebody? Now, I'm not thinking about you know some miracle because the scriptures indicate that the first miracle he's going to do is the um, the uh, uh, turning the water into wine in Cana of Galilee, and again he's over thirty by that time. But was there someone that needed help? Was there a there, the temple often had places where uh, people would be laying in the uh, begging because of their uh, malady of some type, and good-hearted people would try to give to them. Was Jesus trying to help somebody maybe that had a problem? Uh, maybe another uh, child that got lost. Could he have been uh, listening or entering into some spiritual discussion and got distracted? Again, it's not a sin to be distracted. So could that have happened? Um, it's, it's, it's what he was doing uh, three days later when they find him. Um, so could he have been enraptured with a spiritual or biblical discussion with some individual and forgotten the time? Well, here's what we do know. <clears throat> For some reason... He got separated from his parents. And um, uh, I guess as I view it, uh, in some way, there's, uh, by the way, Jerusalem swells during the Passover because everybody has to come back there from not only the nation, but many from all over the world will try to get there during the Passover season. And so literally thousands of, of um, people beyond the, the norm in Jerusalem are there, and it's already the capital city for the nation of Israel. And so, if you can imagine, there are the streets are just filled with people. And so, as a little uh, a little guy, he's still only twelve years old, it is very possible that he just simply somehow got uh, separated from the group. And um, so, uh, where does Jesus? Uh, where does he stay for those three days? Because he gets separated from his parents. Well. Um, as I picture it, again, you, you just have to go with my imagination at this point and see what you think, but as I picture it, uh, Jesus, if he wasn't in the temple when they got separated, that's where he heads. He knows where that's at. And he's going to do that for a, state, a reason that he will state to his mother later on when they actually find him. 
But so if he's not already in the temple, he goes there. And as I, I really don't think he slept overnight at the temple. I don't think that probably would have been allowed. He probably went home with a rabbi from the temple, maybe a person of more humble rank. But you can imagine him, somebody who lived in Jerusalem there, imagine him saying to the, this young fellow, well, well where, where are your parents? Uh, um, where, when are they going to find you? And I, I don't think he was afraid at all. I think in his youthful mind, he is staying where um, he, he knows they will find him. And so he's probably saying, well, maybe tomorrow they'll, they'll, they'll figure out where I, I really think they should understand where I'd be. I will be um, uh, at the temple. I think they should, should be able to know that. So I'm expecting that they'll find me. And, and uh, this will go on for a period of about three days before actually... Um, his parents uh, do find him. So wouldn't it be amazing if, if you were the person in the temple that were, was taking care of Jesus during that three-day period? Um, but he honestly felt it would be obvious where they should look for him. And you'll, you'll find that in just a moment. Now, okay, so this is unusual. We have, we have our, our, our Lord as a child getting separated from his parents. So so uh, why do you think this would have happened? Well, verse 43 gives us uh, another indication. It says that when they'd finished the days, they returned. The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. You say, well, how in the world? Pastor, how can, how can parents not know when their child is missing? Well, I, have, I think you have to think about the fact that Jesus has never sinned. This young fella had always been responsible. Uh, Mary and Joseph <clears throat> evidently thought that, that he was, because they're not traveling just by themselves as a small family, they're, tra- they're traveling with a kind of a group of caravan. That's how they often did it in those days. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. And so Mary and Joseph obviously at first thought that he was just with the group. They just didn't see him at that moment and had no fear that Jesus would in any way disobey them and not be along. Remember, they've been going every year, so this is not the first time Jesus has been on this trip. He's been doing this since he was, a, since he was literally a baby. So they really <clears throat> had great confidence that Jesus would have been with the group somewhere. Um, so they're not even worried about it that first day. Now, let's keep reading. It says, But supposing him to have been in the company, like I was telling you, like a caravan of people, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. <clears throat> so let's try to, try to put this in our minds here for a moment. <clears throat> Think about the fact that this really happened. So if you're a, a, a mother, I want you to think about it from the mom's perspective. If you're a dad, like I am, think about it from the dad's perspective. All right, you come to the end of the first day. You've been traveling up north from Jerusalem back towards your home in Nazareth. And now it's getting late in the day, so everybody in the caravan, they're going to kind of gather together. And you can imagine the women getting off, and they're going to start cooking supper. And the smells of of, uh, some delicious food are probably wafting through the air. And Joseph and Mary kind of... Finally, uh, um, you know, have a moment or two to talk, and so, so where's Jesus? And and by the way, they they probably have more children. Jesus had um, half brothers in that household, so they probably have a number of other kids they're watching too. And so Joseph is saying, "So where's Jesus?" And Mary says, "Well, I thought he was with you." 
And Joseph says, well, no, I thought he was with you. And so they, they become a little concerned, but they, they would figure that he's somewhere in the group. They begin to look around, and the more they look and the more they search, they, they realize he is, in fact, not there. Now, can you imagine, as a parent, some of you may have gone through this. The other uh, couple weeks ago, we had a young fella um, of our one of the children of folks in our church, and for just a handful of minutes, we couldn't find him around the church. And um, I, I, I forget if he was in the bathroom or where he was, but but it, it, we found him. But I will tell you this: that there was a sinking. Uh, terrorizing feeling that was running through my stomach just for those few moments when we're looking for that child. And all the thoughts, what would, what would you be thinking? Well, could he have been kidnapped? Could he be, have been murdered? Could could somebody be hauling him off into slavery somewhere? The, the, remember, Jerusalem has thousands of extra people at this time, and they're not all going to be wonderful, godly, perfect people. So, Okay, you you find out, and it's 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 getting toward dark. Uh, now, now remember something: they probably finished the Passover on the Saturday. That's their the Jewish day of worship, so they're finishing that on a Saturday. So Sunday, they've traveled most of the day. That's their first day of the week. They're traveling most of the day. They come and they've stopped. Okay, now they finally realize Jesus is not among the group. Now, what would you do? Well, if I'm Joseph, I'm kind of hungry at this point, but I'll guarantee you this, when you find out your child is missing, you're not you're not worried about food at that point. You're trying to worry about uh, what about this this child's life? Something must be wrong because he's always responsible. He's always with us. Jesus would not have deliberately tried to disobey us. That they would certainly believe that. So where is he? Is he injured? Is he enslaved? Is he murdered? Is he kidnapped? Well, as he's been, they're talking to the group, I, I believe it becomes obvious that he was not, he was not ever with them, that no one had had them had him with them from the start. And so they're a day out. And I'll just tell you what I think Mary and Joseph did because it's it's what I would have done. And that is, you're not eating supper. You're not waiting until the morning. You are booking it back to Jerusalem that night. And and Mary, and you can understand her, because she's with with um, Joseph. She's the one that finds Jesus. She's telling Joseph, no, I'm, I'm not staying here with a caravan. I'm going back with you. And so you can, if you can, in your mind's eye, see Mary and Joseph headed back toward Jerusalem frantically trying to find Jesus. All right, so it's it's Sunday, and you have traveled the whole day out. Now, I would just think this. I think they're going back a lot faster than they went out. I, I really do, because if you think about it, you know, in a caravan of people, you got Uncle Joe that's kind of getting up in years, and he can't go too hard, and you got the young children, and they can't move too quickly. You've got a whole group, and Mary and Joseph probably had to farm out their other children to the younger children, the, to, to uh, other people, make sure they're taken care of, and back they go. I think they got there before daybreak on, on uh, Monday morning, and they search, and they search, and they search, and they come back together, and Jesus is not found. 
and they try to encourage each other, but they, they, this, I cannot imagine the out every moment of the, again, when, our, when a child was missing, just for a few moments, just a miss, you know, wandered somewhere in, in the church. I, I can't imagine. Now, Monday, you've, you've gone all day, nothing. Tuesday, you've gone all day. Again, a fruitless search. Now, with each hour that goes by, you're becoming more and more convinced he must be kidnapped, he must be dead. Uh, what is going to happen? And by the way, if you're Mary, in this very same passage that Luke is is telling us, uh, in Luke chapter 2, um, we're told a couple different times in this chapter that these events in Jesus' early life, that Mary kept those things in her heart and she pondered them. So let's just stop for a second and think about the fact that there's already been several attempts to snuff out this child's life. If you remember the long journey down to Bethlehem late in Mary's pregnancy, okay, that that could have resulted in a miscarriage, and yet she went with Joseph, maybe because she didn't feel safe or because she just wanted to be with him. He had just uh, married her. But she makes that trip and, of course, has the baby in Bethlehem, uh, miles, uh, tens of miles from where she lived. Then think about the inability to find a place to give birth to Christ when they got to Bethlehem as she was as she was carrying that child. Then think about shortly after Jesus' birth, the Lord gives Joseph a dream of warning, telling him that Herod is going to try to attempt to kill Christ. They fled Bethlehem, I believe it was at night. And as the Lord had warned them, there were multitudes of, 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 of children two years old and younger that were that were massacred by Herod's soldiers. And Mary, in all probability, found out about that. Think about how uh, Joseph, as he's coming back to, because uh, they, they fled to Egypt, as he's coming back into Israel, uh, is afraid to settle Jesus down south and so goes back to their old, uh, old uh, home in Nazareth um, to get to make sure that they were away from uh, away from danger as much as they could. Now, also remember this: Mary had been told who Jesus was and is. The Gabe, the angel Gabriel had had told both Mary and Joseph separately that this was the Christ. Uh, the the angel had to tell Joseph that Mary was truly a virgin and was had not been unfaithful to him before he married her. If you remember, when, when Jesus was born, shepherds came in and said that they had seen angels that had told them that the Christ had been born. And unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Remember when the wise men came a few weeks later and said that they were, were looking for the king of the Jews and they worshipped him. And then even remember when they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus as just a little uh, little boy, a, a man, older man named Simeon came up, and he says to them that I, God, I can die now, for I've seen your salvation. And then he says this to Mary: A sword will pierce through your soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, you don't think Mary might be thinking about that statement? A sword's going to go through your heart, and Mary thinking about the fact that maybe this is it. Of course, it wasn't going to be that. Mary was going to see Jesus crucified. That's what the prophecy really meant. But can you imagine Mary's terror that that here they've had the privilege of raising the Christ and they've lost him and he may be dead. 
Well, it seems Wednesday was the day that they find Jesus. And you might be tempted to think, if I was Mary or Joseph, I'm never going to find him. But in desperation, I don't know why they didn't do this earlier, but they go to the temple. Maybe to talk to somebody there who might have seen him come through or whatever. Uh, maybe to pray. Maybe they came there just to, to beg God. You know, Solomon, when he dedicated the temple back in um, it would be 966 BC when they began it, so over 900 years earlier, he gave several scenarios where people could come into the temple and pray. Um, if they were unable to uh, get there physically, they could pray in that direction. But but Mary, maybe Mary and Joseph came there specifically to beg God. But when they get there, it's very interesting. It says that they, um, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So now, it, it, so now it was so that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard it were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And I think obviously that's an understatement. Uh, we, we, we can't. How can you communicate that moment in front of all those people, the, the terror that you've experienced for the last three days? And yet when Jesus is found, when Joseph and Mary finally found Jesus, and by the way, he did, he did exactly the, the classic thing that you're supposed to do, and that is when you're lost, they tell you, stay in one spot. Stay where you're at. Let the rescuers find you. And that's exactly what our Lord does. He stays at the temple, and he waits for his parents to find him. And I want you to, so you see Jesus' calm demeanor here. So don't, by the way, um, Mary and Joseph are shocked to find him, but don't uh, make Jesus out to be, as, as sometimes I've seen this uh, acted out, where Christ is somehow cocky or fearful or intimidated. Um, he's too interested in gaining more knowledge and insight into God's word than to be worried about social standing, and he, he's also not cockily talking and proudly talking to these uh, leaders of his nation. He's not that kind of a, of a, of a, of a child. He's not that kind of a person. Now, the crowd is astonished at this 12-year-old young man. What so impressed them? Well, let me read verse 47 again. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So they were astonished at two things. Jesus' understanding. I believe they were shocked at Christ's understanding of God's word. Now, I'm going to have to read between the lines a little bit here, but I, I, I think... Um, I, I personally think this will be borne out one day, and that is that that Jesus loved God's word, and whether he had to in some way save money or his parents helped him, I believe he got a copy of the scrolls, which would have been extremely um, hard to get in that day. We don't have the they don't have the printing press, so every copy of the word of God is handwritten, and yet you'll find. As he's older, he knows the word of God, and he knows it. Uh, he knows it thoroughly. Not not just the literal things that it's saying, but what it means. And this is showing you an insight into his mind and heart here, as people are just shocked at his understanding of of God's word, and they're shocked at his answers. 
Uh, Jesus was beyond the mere facts of the Bible. He was trying to truly comprehend its meaning in all types of applications. Um, like, for instance, uh, when, when he's uh, in his earthly ministry, late in his earthly ministry, there was a, a group called the Sadducees that came to Christ, and they tried to trip him up on their classic, um, uh, their classic scenario. And that is, the Sadducees did, uh, were um, uh, similar in their theology to Reformed Judaism today, where uh, they really don't believe in a resurrection, they don't believe in miracles. So uh, uh, really, it's, it's almost kind of an atheistic type of, um, not completely, but they really don't believe in any kind of um, uh, afterlife. And so where they get that from is the, the Sadducees of that day, um, they only accept as authoritative the first five books of the Bible. And they were all, of course, written by Moses. And so their point is the resurrection is not found in those first five books, and therefore uh, we don't believe in it. And uh, so uh, they they don't believe in miracles, they don't believe in the resurrection, and, um, and that's how they arrive at their conclusion is that it's not taught in those f- first five books. So then they gave Jesus their classic scenario of a woman who uh, is married and she dies without children. And, and in, in Jewish culture, in many cultures in, in the ancient world, they had what was called leveret marriage. What that meant is that if a, a man uh, dies without an heir, he does not have a child that, that he left behind. One of his close relatives, uh, hopefully a brother, would marry his widow and their first child would carry on the, the name of the brother who had died early. And so in the, the scenario of the Sadducees, they said to Jesus, now there's this woman, she's uh, married, she, her husband dies with no children. So the next brother marries her, and the same thing happens, and down to seven brothers. So she marries all seven brothers, none of them have a child. And so their question is, all right, in the resurrection, which again they don't believe in, in the resurrection, whose wife would she be? Because all seven of these brothers had her. And, um, of course, they're trying to say how foolish it is to believe in the resurrection because that would be a scenario where, you know, one woman for seven men, that's not going to work. And what Christ said was very interesting. He said, you, you, you err because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. He said, uh, as, as far as the resurrection is concerned, he said, even... In the burning bush incident, when God called Moses from the burning bush, God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. If God at that moment that he's talking to to Moses is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must still exist. Now, that's not something you'd have gotten out of the text. You have to understand the text deeply. That's the kind of knowledge that Jesus had, and that's the kind of knowledge he's evidencing even as a 12-year-old boy because he is interested in, in really getting what the Word of God has to say. That's why the Bible says that the Word of God is spiritually discerned. There, there is uh, absolutely have to understand what the text means, but then how does it apply to my life? 
And Jesus is showing as a 12-year-old boy in his answers when people are asking him questions that he, that he knows that. Now, Mary has that amazed question, Lord, why? Why, Jesus? Why did this happen? And Christ's answer is really quite astonishing. He says, um, so, so, we sought you anxious. Verse 49, he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, a couple thoughts here. First of all, you remember that he's 12 years old. And so he's not thinking on um he's not thinking like a 30-year-old necessarily will in everything. So again, Jesus is not using his omniscience. He's not saying, "Oh, you know, okay, uh, 18 hours from now, uh, my parents will, will show up at the temple." Or he's not saying, "Well, I know they're in the western district. I'm going to go over and see them and and calm them down." He is not using his omniscience. He's not using the fact that he knows everything. He's living in the in the mind and heart of a 12-year-old boy, and he's waiting wisely for his parents to find him. That will mean that our uh, Lord, again, is going to learn the scriptures, and that's what he's doing here. That's why he's, he's staying in the temple, uh, because he's listening and asking questions of these teachers. He's trying to learn. Because that's exactly what it says. It says that when they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teacher, both listening to them and asking questions. So he's not, you know, oh, you guys have to listen to me, and you better, you know, understand that I'm the Son of God, etc. He is he's listening to these people. He's trying to gain knowledge from them. He's trying to learn. And he's asking questions. And even the questions he's asking are showing a, a level of depth and understanding that people had never seen. This means that though he was sinless, he still would not have the wisdom and insight at 12 that he would have at 30. That's exactly what it means when it says in verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom. That's verse 52. I believe that if Christ were older, he may have uh, realized that the feelings of, of Mary uh, would have caused him to uh, maybe maybe do some kind of a I don't know what else he would have done. But he's thinking uh, wisely, I'll stay where I'm at. My parents will find me. But what he could not understand is why they didn't come directly to the temple. He thought they should have foreseen where he would be found. Now, what does he mean here? Because there's actually another, um, like, again, depending on your translation, there's a little difference here. He says, I must be, did you not understand, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, again, there's there's a textual variant there. What in, in some of your translations, it'll read, I must be in my father's house. This would be a statement showing that Jesus knows that, that God is his father and that his parents should have looked there in confidence that they would find him in that house. That's where he would be safe. So if you went to a city that was somewhat strange to you, but your father lived there, if someone were looking for you, that would be the first place to look. So that may have been Christ's reasoning. Uh, I'll go to my father's house. I'll go to the temple, my father's house. They'll certainly be able to know that I'd be there. But there's another way that this can be translated, and that is, did you not know that I'd be about my father's business? And that is the business of preparing for my future ministry. Didn't you know that I would need to be learning more? He takes so seriously 
that he's calling it my father's business. In this case, Jesus would also expect that if you were looking to find what he's up to in a city that you don't know where to find him, think about what obviously he would be doing there, and that is studying God's word. This really gives us a window, does it not, into the character and the mindset of the child Jesus, the Savior of the world. Here is someone who is humble, who has a thirst for knowledge, and who is not tainted by sin. So it's not limiting his ability to learn. You know, those of you that are grandparents, I'm I'm confident you've seen this. And that is, um, you know, as our children grow up, we kind of forget some of the younger stages. But then the grandkids start coming along. And and you notice how curious, how how intelligent they are, even from uh, from just the tiny little tots. You just see the the the, the thirst for knowledge, the 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 desire to learn. You say, um, and yet, why is it that that same child can at fifteen, sixteen, um, really be completely uh, uh, detached from wanting to learn anything and be sullen? It's it's the effects of sin. Imagine a child that is not is not going that direction. It's not it's not be, becoming a, a wounded because of anger or bitterness or 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 fear. Uh, imagine a person who is not too proud to learn and keep learning. Uh, imagine someone who's who's uh, got the, uh, the 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 skill of of uh, of dealing with people and and talking kindly to people. This and, and again, thank God there are people to a lesser degree, who fit that type of a description somewhat. Our Lord is perfect at this. And so we see as a child um, this this picture of Christ. And when you think about it, it's astounding. Let me give you some concluding thoughts about Christ's youth. Again, I'm looking at verse 51 and 52. We've, I've, look, I've mentioned them before, but let me go ahead and read them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And by the way, Luke's been talking about his birth, his dedication in the temple, the different thing the angel said, the thing that um, all these different incidents in the earlier life. Mary is thinking about them. The angelic message, Joseph's dream, the visit of the shepherds, Simeon's prophecy. There's an older woman named Anna who came up and said something very similar to what Simeon said on the fact that this was the, the Savior. Uh, again, the Magi, the wise men's visit. Jesus now in the temple. She's also thinking about this. What does he mean? You, why did you not? Why did you? Why did you not just come directly to my father's house? Or why didn't you think I was going to be about my father's business? And so you notice, Mary keeps keeps all these things in her heart. And then verse fifty-two says, "And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men." So he's growing growing physically. Uh, he's, he's increasing in wisdom. Again, another another way of saying, look, he's, he's not using perfect omniscience. He's not using that because otherwise he would have all wisdom from, the, from, the, from infancy. But, he, but he's not. He's growing up as a human being, but sinless. Wisdom, increasing in wisdom, increasing with stature, increasing with favor with God. Now, how can that increase? I believe it's just basically it's becoming more evident. 
Because as 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 Christ is growing up now and, and becoming now a, a teenager and then a young adult, the difference between never sinning and all the rest of us is becoming more and more obvious. You know, when um, my, my wife teaches first grade at a, a Christian school in the area, and so she just thoroughly enjoys it. But, you know, a first grader... Um, they may or may not know the Lord as Savior, but there's an innocence there uh, almost across the board. There's, a, there's a, um, again, a desire to learn. Um, as my wife has begun now to, to get the kids acclimated to how she is going to be teaching them, uh, she's finding that they're saying things like, wow, it's lunchtime already, or wow, the day just flew. Why? Because they're getting into learning. They're, there's a thirst that is innate. It's something God puts in a heart. Well, take out the, the way that sin try, tries to push those things away from us and think about how Christ, as he's growing through now his, his teenage years into his adult years, is just evidencing the favor of God upon his life. And then he's increasing. Now, notice again, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men who wouldn't like him that's why honestly when we think about the disciples and um, the despair that they felt after the crucifixion in those three days between his crucifixion and his resurrection i don't think i don't think we can honestly imagine it and get it right because we've never met anyone like him there's nobody that has ever walked the planet like Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh. Nobody like him. And so you can't imagine the joy, the peace, the 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 uh, the graciousness, yet the honesty that's all wrapped up in the person of Christ. And to and to to be around him would would simply be a delight. But what do we conclude from this? And isn't it, this is one of those uh, incidents that, honestly, it's like looking at a bright light. It's like you want to see what's going on here, but it's it's like too bright to even see it. Let me give you some conclusions. Number one, faithful. Jesus demonstrated faithful submission and obedience. Number two, he demonstrated humility. Thirdly, he demonstrated growth. He was not content with what he knew from his parents and about the God God in the Bible. He had hunger to know more. He's is a uh, demonstrated compassion. He demonstrated strength and grace and preparation. That's the character of our Lord. And let me just say this. It's our job as as believers in Christ to be zealously serving God and zealously preparing to serve him and follow in the footsteps of our Savior. May the Lord bless you. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Hawkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Today's broadcast and all previous sermons can be found on our podcast at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Sting my
life and light, he free.